All right, everybody, what's going on? This is episode number 76 of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Thank you for joining me on YouTube tonight. If you are watching, if you're not, you guys can watch this later on. You can listen to it later on on Spotify, Podbean, whatever the platforms you choose are. Uh, it's always on there. Thank you guys for joining me if you join me. But you know what? Let's get right to it. So I'm going to get into two topics today. The Giants, obviously, both of the categories that are in my podcast name, the Giants and the New York Yankees. So I'm going to go with what to take from the Gettleman and Mara press conferences. So let's get into that. Um, both have extreme faith in Joe Judge, and I know it's a 6-10 and 10 season, but there is a lot to be, I would say, excited about going into next season. Now, a lot of, you know, Giant fans are a little bit worried because, oh, what if it's just, you know, a bust? Um, what if, you know, what next season's a fluke? What if this season's a fluke and we end up going back down again? I think now a lot of people have compared this to the situation where the Jets went 6-2 and two down the stretch and they obviously went 2-13, and 2-14 and 14 the next season. I don't think it's that way be honest with you um i think that we are a better coach team i think we're a better coach team than that i do think that and i don't think judge is as bad as adam gase you know he had a couple of i would say rough spots in coaching this year you know the browns game wasn't necessarily the greatest the 49ers game was not necessarily the greatest the cardinals game wasn't even the greatest you know those were some games where he really struggled with coaching and just the whole coaching staff together. And I feel that we have enough talent, you know, obviously going in next year with a bunch of free agent um, signings that we could make. It also depends on what the cap number is going to look like, as Dave Gettleman said, and also depends on, you know, where and who lands at what draft pick. We pick 11th. So it's time to get on the offseason talk, but that's going to be in a couple of episodes. And we also have the Yankees to talk about, but extreme faith in Joe Judge. He's hired the right coaches. We'll see what happens with Jason Garrett. I'm not necessarily faithful that he's going to go to the Chargers, but for Chargers fans, he's a great offensive coordinator. You want him as an offensive coach for Jason, for uh, excuse me, Justin Herbert. Go ahead and take him. We'll find another offensive coordinator. You guys just do what's best. So, right pieces on the O-line, this is more of a Gettleman thing. And everybody's been saying, oh, you know, um, Gettleman's pr promising from the beginning that the offensive line, you know, is not really, you know, good and that he was going to make it into a good unit. And I have to agree with that. I do agree with that. But when you're having a building offensive line, you know, there's a lot of things that go with it. And there's young rookies, and you know what? You could say, oh, the Giants, you know, they gave up uh, this many sacks this season. Um, you have to look at the film also because stats say one thing, film says another. Because you could say, oh, he gave up, uh, or Daniel Jones got sacked about five times against Washington. Some of them were on Shane Lemieux. Some of them, you know, were just like that one stupid flea flicker play that failed. Thank you, play calling. Thank you, Alfred Morris, for throwing it back to Jones when he was literally under pressure. But, you know, it's just a number. And it's not like – and I'm not making excuses here. It's not the first two seasons where, oh, my God, you know, it's a makeshift offensive line. 
you know, where this offensive line was meant to win games. And I understand last season, you know, wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, pro winning season. It wasn't 2018. It was a building year. And we didn't, in my opinion, start the offensive rebuild till this year because, you know, Slayton's in his second year. Obviously, they drafted the quarterback last year. But the offensive line, you know, you didn't start drafting rookies and putting reinforcements on this offensive line until this year. And I really think that in a couple of episodes, I'll explain it, that the Giants should reconsider cutting Kevin Zeitler because if Will Hernandez is falling out of favor, you might want to reconsider cutting Zeitler for how many million in cap money. Because as much as you think he may or may not be worth, what is it, $12 million a year, $10 million a year, Solid offensive line talent is really, really hard these days to find around the NFL. And Zeitler, he's an experienced veteran that never got an all-pro, never got a Pro Bowl, but he plays solid every season. He gives you 16 games. I think he's only missed one game, two games for the Giants. I think it was one game. It was last year against the Dolphins. And then I think Zeitler returned the next game against the Washington football team, then the Redskins. But my point is, you know, he's a solid offensive lineman, gives you 16 games, and Again, really hard to find solid offensive line talent. And if the coaching staff says, hey, you know, Will Hernandez, he's not in what we do and he's not a part of the future, you might as well go ahead and say, you know what, uh, trade Hernandez, cut Hernandez, whatever. We're going to keep Zeitler. But, you know, if they end up keeping Zeitler, Giants fans have to open up to the reaction and open up and open their mind to the fact that we may not be spending a lot in cap money in free agency we're already limited as it is you know we gotta sign lw leonard williams we gotta sign dalvin tomlinson logan ryan's already extended graham gano's extended will wayne gallman come back that's another one and the giants have to make these really i would say tough decisions and dave gettleman said that he said look you know um, when the cap number comes out, and we got to make some tough decisions. Golden Tate, Nate Solder. Um, I think there's a couple of small cap casualties. Cody Core, Spencer Pulley, David Mayo. So those are just some numbers to throw at you. But again, should we rethink cutting Kevin Zeitler instead of throwing him out to the dogs for another team to get? And then, you know, we end up drafting another guard or, you know, actually signing another veteran that only gives us one or two years. You know, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I never really said that Kevin Zeitler was in the future plans of the New York Giants. I never said that. But would you rather keep him along for another year rather than cutting him for the money and not doing anything with that money or drafting a guard that's going to take years to develop? It's going to be Joe Judge's decision. It's going to be Dave Gettleman's decision. So it has a lot of I would say stake on it. Both emphasize the playmaker. Um, that has really strong hold. And when I say that, both Mara and Gelman said, look, you know, the offense 31st in the league, the offensive line is coming together. You know, Daniel Jones looked bad and he looked good in some games, but we got to get him a playmaker. And should we expect the Giants to go out and get a number one wide receiver in free agency? To be honest with you, I wouldn't be too set on it. They may want to go a draft pick, say, hey, you know, this guy's younger. This guy um, is not going to be looking for how much money. He's a draft pick. 
you know, you could look for, for Devonta Smith. You could be looking for a Jalen Waddle. You could be looking for Rashad Bateman. You could be looking for – there's one more I'm forgetting – Jamar Chase. Rather than Kenny Galladay, and people are saying, oh, is Kenny Galladay going to take a prove-it deal? He's not taking a prove-it deal. I mean, I don't know who's thinking that, but, you know, when he gets the hell out of Detroit, he's going to be like, hey, I'm a good wide receiver. Um, you know, there's no means to that, and I'm going to be looking for big money which is a reason why the Giants may or may not go after him. Now, there were supposed rumors that the Giants were going to you know, try to trade for Galilee, but I think it would have been a bad business move, in my opinion, just like many people say about the whole Leonard Williams thing. Bad business move. Ended up working out for us, but at the same time, you know, um, we'll see where that goes. But to be honest with you, I'd rather draft a wide receiver because a little more long-term, you're not wasting how much money unless the wide receiver, you know, becomes a bust, which essentially can happen. But you don't want, you know, a wide receiver who may be up there in age or maybe in his late 20s and he gets injured a lot. There's a lot of options out there. Um, Galladay and Robinson are the first two options. Who would I rather? I think Robinson is... A little bit better. I have to watch the tape, the film, you know, look at the stats and everything. But he gets less injured than, say, Kenny Galladay. But John Mara and Dave Gettleman both emphasized the playmaker and said, you know, let's go get one. But we'll see what happens. And I have faith in this team, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to state the facts and say, hey, you know, um, this team did not get a wide receiver. This team didn't do this. This team, you know, I'm going to state the facts. But I have faith. And I'm going to say one more thing before I go on to the uh, two next points before we actually get into some Yankees topics is, you know, I'll give John Mara some credit. Some of the decisions he's made in the past have been emotionally triggering, like the Eli thing. And, you know, he said that he didn't really dictate Gettleman on what to do in 2018. And a lot of people still are behind that theory. A lot of people are, you know, off that theory saying, you know what, you have no excuse, Dave Gettleman, that first year. And this has to relate to it. But I'm going to give Mara the benefit of the doubt. He cares about his franchise. Steve Tisch, I don't know how much he owns. He hasn't been in the business. This offseason, like the last offseason, the 2020 offseason, you know, with hiring Joe Judge and, you know, taking on, oh, I want, you know, to see more. I want to see more progression. Like, you know what? People are calling out Dave Gettleman doing this. Well, where's everybody calling out Steve Tisch? He hasn't been around and just shows you, in my opinion, that he's all in for the money. He produces movies in Hollywood, but at the same time, does he care about the football team he partially owns? No. So at least Mara, and obviously that has been passed down from generations in the Mara family being the Giants football team, but he cares about it more than Steve Tisch does. And if one day, you know, Mara said, listen, I can't do this anymore, hands it over to Tisch, I think this franchise would be in some deep trouble, very deep trouble, because I don't think Tisch knows how to run a football team. But then again, you know, I could be wrong in certain situations, both admit to a bad 2018 season. Personnel-wise, they were not very keen there. I think, to be honest with you, 
And I'm not going to, you know, rant all over this. I'm not going to say, oh, this, that, and the other thing. Like a lot of Giants Twitter GMs, like a lot of, you know, YouTubers try to create some clickbait content. But the Giants, I think, should have started a rebuild in 2018. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, the Browns, you know, the Colts, those are two teams that have success right now and we don't. And, you know, they have been winning faster than us. Well, you know, Colts, it took a while for them to draft around Andrew Luck, an offensive line, a competent team. And the Browns have been crap forever. So you can't really make that excuse when the Giants have been crap since 2011 going downhill, but the Browns have been crap forever. So what point are you making there? Doesn't really make a lot of sense. But again, I think the Giants should have really started their rebuild in 2018. Personally, I really don't agree with the Saquon Barkley draft pick. However, it could benefit us next year if we don't sign Wayne Gallman and Barkley comes back from his um, injury and he's fullest to health. I would really like that. Benefits our offense. And if Garrett leaves or Garrett stays, he better incorporate him. If he doesn't, then we're going to be you know really pissed off and changes will have to be made. And they didn't say anything about firing Jason Garrett. They're pretty much wanting him to stay here because of the continuity. And that's what you need to do with this defense going back. Um, probably going to discuss this again in future episodes, but when I said with Tomlinson and Williams, you need to keep continuity. And I always say this on when I'm on with the hub or when I'm on with the entertainer or whenever they do streams and I join, you need to face and make the decisions in-house before you go out the house. You know, you can't just say, oh, we're going to sign this wide receiver, but we're not going to decide on Wayne Goldman first because that doesn't make any sense. See what you have in-house. You have so many months to do it before free agency starts, and you have the benefit of the doubt to sign Leonard Williams, to sign Dalvin Tomlinson. They're your free agents, so you can get a jumping start. Now, other teams, that's different. That starts in March, but you want to get ahead in this. The defense, especially with Pat Graham returning this year, you definitely want to keep the continuity. And you can get rid of an Isaac Yadam. You can get rid of, you know, a Ryan Lewis. Those are not costly changes to your franchise. When you're getting rid of a Dalvin Tomlinson or maybe a Leonard Williams, those are going to be changes that you'll see on the field. Now, mind you, B.J. Hill and Austin Johnson – and the other defensive tackles we have could fill Tomlinson's place, but they'll probably split the time. I don't think BJ Hill's going to get, you know, how many snaps like Tomlinson did. But Leonard Williams, you know, he generates the most inside pressure. He had the third most pressures among defensive tackles. And if you try to draft another defensive tackle that tries to generate the most pressure, you're not going to get a lot. It's going to take years for that defensive tackle to develop, and you have no interior rush aside from having no pass rush. And that's another thing the Giants need to really assess in this draft. And the last one being progress is being made. Um, obviously, from a 4-12 season ago with a rebuild and firing Pat Shermer with a bad coaching staff to a good coaching staff to a teaching coaching staff to a 6-10 and season. That's definitely improvement. And when you're 4-2 against your divisional rivals, when you beat the Cowboys and the Eagles at least once, when you own the Redskins slash football team who were the number one team in the NFC East, even though it's an ugly division, you still owned the NFC East champ. 
and you won against an over 500 team, no matter what Lombardo, meaning Matt Lombardo or any of these stupid beat writers try to say, the Giants made progress this season. You know, they can create their own narratives and the Giants fans can go behind that. But what were we supposed to be this season? You take a look at the schedule and, you know, not in season, but like, let's just say two weeks before the season, you look at the schedule. What games were we supposed to win that we haven't won? We won the Bengals game. You know, we beat the Seahawks by just chance. I had us beating the Cardinals, but I was wrong on that one. Um, We beat. The Eagles, as I said, we beat the Cowboys once, as I said. We own the football team, which I only expected actually one win because I thought they got better on defense, and they did, but the offense couldn't really catch up. But they're, you know, the number one team in the NFC East. And um, I'm missing one more win probably in the beginning of the season, but it doesn't matter right now because we're 6-10, and 10 and that's what it was expected. Now you want to take a look at in-season, maybe like, You know, when you're prancing from week one and week two, you could say, oh, we could beat the 49ers. We should have beat the 49ers. I mean, it was 36 to nine. Our offense couldn't get going, and our defense gave up at the end, which really stunk. Really stunk. And, you know, I think the defense learned a hard lesson there was not to give up on Patrick Graham and Joe Judge, and they're in for it. And it's not like a locker room with the Eagles, you know, oh, they're giving up on their coach, and the GM is blaming the coach, and the coach is blaming the GM, you know. It's not a locker room thing like that. The Giants are actually in for what Joe Judge, you know, is saying. He's saying the right things and they're following him. So I don't really necessarily see a problem. And you know what? Um, Pretty much this is why YouTubers are here. Because the Giants, you know, the guys on YouTube are, whether it's Talking Giants, whether it's The Entertainer, whether it's Cop Pizzle, if it's a fan reaction or the X's and go, or whether it's a fan reaction or the X's and O's guys, They're better than the beat media, in my opinion. Now, the sources are the beat media. I'm not going to sit here and take that away from them. But they really create scrappy articles. It's clickbait. And also to know, you know, I feel they sell their soul to the devil just to create some crappy content. That's just my opinion. Because I think when the Giants got eliminated and the Eagles won, excuse me, lost, they really, in my opinion... And I saw this with other fans, too. They really sold out and said, you know what? Giants, they're bad this season. They started making these, you know, crappy articles. But it just shows that the beat media is actually not in for the truth. They're in for their own narratives. And you know what? I lost respect for a lot of beat media people. But, you know, they will always be there. All right. So let's get into some Yankees topics. I finished with the Giants. First time I'm talking about the Yankees since I think October. And that's a long time. Probably because, you know, I haven't been on the offseason talking. It's been in-season for the Giants. I do apologize for that, but I'm going to bring it back here. So let's take a quick recap of what the Yankees have done this offseason. Currently, they're negotiating or trying to negotiate with DJ LeMayhew. They signed outfielder Socrates Brito. They traded for Greg Allen, the uh, the outfielder from the San Diego Padres, was with the Cleveland Indians before, and uh, we sent James Reeves to San Diego. He, I believe, was a prospect before, but wasn't necessarily on the list this past year, probably because of the pandemic and the minor league is not actually being active. Uh, Doesn't look like they're going to sign Brett Garner. They have not talked to him. We signed Matt Bowen, a minor league pitcher. Um, He will not play for most of 2021, so I don't really know the point there. But at the same time, we let 
Tommy Canley walk. He was outrighted off the roster in October, and he is now a free agent. So, um, or at least was a free agent, and he's with LA now. He probably will not be playing most of 2021, if at all. And then 2022, you know, good for him. He's in LA. By the way, uh, RIP to Tommy Lasorda. I obviously wasn't around when he managed, but, you know, just knowing from the skits and what people telling me, he was a funny guy, and obviously he won some championships with the Dodgers and went to multiple World Series. They didn't tender Jonathan Holder, which actually isn't a surprise. He signed with the uh, Chicago Cubs, I'm pretty sure. Um, no surprise there. I didn't necessarily like Holder the last two years. Uh, I thought he was nothing in the bullpen. But that is to no surprise. I'm not going to act like, you know, they signed him to a, you know, a big contract and now they're still paying for it. Um, one thing I do want to bring up later is the fact that MLB should be implementing a salary cap or should, you know, um, not that they will, but they should for the small market teams because the small market teams have to tank. But that's another topic we'll discuss a little bit later. And we signed recently Julius Chassin, former Colorado Rocky, to a minor league deal. So, Yankees lost $437 million in game revenue from 2020. Now, obviously, the money went up and down regarding the players' salaries, regarding, obviously, the game revenue lost from ticket sales, whatever they didn't make in food money. It all combines into that. 2020 was a complete mess. And if you're going to ask my opinion, Alex, what do you think of this? I didn't think that the players should be getting 100% of their salary. Sure, you know, I get it. They're making a, you know, a benefit. At the same time, they're, you know, sacrificing because their families during the pandemic. But you're not playing in 180, but you're not playing a 160-game season in the MLB. You're not playing that. You're playing in a 60-game season, which is about 100 less games. And I get it. The owners, you know, everybody's trying to claim, oh, the owners, you know, they're trying to save, you know, revenue. They're trying to, you know, defend the owners, meaning the MLB. And listen, they're as guilty as anybody when it comes to money. And especially if they do stuff with their teams and especially, you know, owners are in for it, the money if they're not connected to the aspect of actually owning a team and being involved with that team. I mean, that comes to, you know, certain owners if you can provide examples. But, you know, you have to have at least some standard that some owners and Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, was the only owner currently that did not lose money in 2020 because the Wilpons were the owners in 2020. But my going back to my point, you know, I don't think that the players should have gotten all the salary. I stated this. You know, Blake Snell was saying, oh, you know, uh, got to sacrifice. Listen, look at the coaches who probably get paid less than you, and look at you know the elder coaches, not just the fifty-year-olds, but like the sixty, you know, the seventy-year-old. There are guys out there. Ron Gardenhire, I'm pretty sure, you know, couldn't even manage, or there were some assistant coaches that couldn't even you know be there because they were such a high risk of getting coronavirus. And I think the MLB should have, you know, handled it a little bit better when it came to restrictions. You know, social distancing, this, that, and the other thing. But you have to have some respect for the owners because at the same time, they do own the team. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, 
for the Yankees, don't expect them to make, you know, these stunning moves that the Mets are because Steve Cohen has more money than probably, you know, he's been saving up. And he's ready to bring back the throwback Mets jerseys, the black jerseys. And my point is, you know, Steinbrenner's lost the most, $437 million. I'm not defending them because in the past, you know, past off seasons when it was getting a pitcher, when it was getting this, when it was getting that, they didn't do anything when they had the money. So what's the standard to change here? But here are the priorities for the Yankees this offseason. They need to re-sign DJ LeMahieu or sign someone close to it. Now, um, Glaber Torres had a horrible season last year. You know, the analytics can tell you a different story. I saw my eyeballs. I saw it with my eyeballs. Glaber Torres, move him to second in my opinion, had a much better year in the past at second base with Didi Gregorius at shortstop. Then last year at shortstop, his natural position, which really I guess it's probably because either he didn't get enough, you know, training there because he originally I believe was a shortstop. Then they moved him over to second. Then when Gregorius walked, they said, you know what, DJ LeMay, who's coming over, so you're going to play shortstop. But last year was pretty bad for him. But if the Yankees, you know, right now don't come up with the twenty-five million dollars per year, now is he meeting DJ LeMayhew? worth the $25 million per year? I don't know. I think he's pretty worth the something that you would want him to stay. Or you want to have the 2018, 2000, I don't know, 17 lineup again, where you put someone at shortstop, meaning like a DD Gregorius, and move Glaber, move Glaber over to second base. And some options, if you don't sign LeMayhew, are DD and Drelton Simlin, and Drelton Simmons, and Marcus Semyon. So there you go. Or there are some options. Now, Semyon didn't have the greatest 2020. But before that, he had a pretty nice year. And next one. This deals into a topic I'm probably going to get into in a little bit. Uh, bringing back Masahiro Tanaka or a starter like him. When I'm talking about Tanaka, and, you know, I don't think we're signing... Um. James Paxton back. I'm pretty sure that's a done deal. We're not signing J-Hat back. That's a done deal. And, you know, I've heard reports that other teams are trying to go after Hap. I think the Angels were one team. You know what? Let them have him, you know. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. A year after, it's just like, I don't know, expired milk. After you trade, meaning Cashman, after Cashman trades for a pitcher, the next year, they end up being trash when they have a full season. Now, Paxton had a full season 2019. Don't get me wrong there. But the year after, 2020, you know, he was injured. And even at the first part, he was really shaky. 2018, when they traded for Hap, he was pretty good. 2019, he sucked. 2020 wasn't much for him. Go to 2017. Traded three different prospects for Sonny Gray. Next year, he ends up being trashed, trading to the Reds. Sonny Gray says, no, it's the Yankees' fault. You know, they didn't really – I don't know what he said, but he said something critical of the Yankees. Meanwhile, he didn't, you know, pitch very well. And, you know, one of my friends said it. They just can't, you know, live in the Big Apple with all this pressure. And you know what? Good for him. Good for him, at the, I guess, at this point because, you know what? He's now with the Reds, and I don't know if he's a free agent or not, but even if he was, I wouldn't consider signing him. So – 
alternate options for Tanaka. And apparently, um, from the Tohoku Rotten Golden Eagles, he got an offer something like 20, $25 million a year in American money. And that's pretty challenging. I really hope they do bring back Tanaka because he, you know, in the postseason, obviously that's where he lights the fire. That's where he gets the energy going. That's, you know, where fans love him best. And we go to the playoffs how many years in a row? We haven't been not in the playoffs since 2016. But my point is, you know, with Tanaka, we could do some really good things. And, you know, he hasn't had the Japan years, and I believe he's like 31 right now, if not somewhere close to in his 30s. But these time runners are starting to, you know, say, you know, well, we need to cut some salary cap. Now, they don't have a salary cap, but we're trying to cut some, you know, salary. We're trying to save money. That's what Cashman's also on as well. So, in my opinion, for the Yankees, they need to go after either one or the other if they're in this direction. They need to go after LeMahieu or it's Tanaka. I don't think it's both in their mind. Now, they could have, you know, set in their mind, oh, um, we want to bring both back. They could tell us that, but do they really mean that on a money standpoint? Trevor Bauer, he's the most expensive option, so I don't think you're even doing that. Corey Kluber, maybe. Jake Arrieta, um, his last good season was like two years ago. Um, and most of these free agents for MLB, they've had terrible 2020s. It's not even like average. They've had a terrible 2020. And some of these pitchers haven't been good in years. So that's, you know, just tells you. Jake Arrieta, as I mentioned, Alex Wood hasn't been good since 2017 with, I think, the Dodgers or the Braves, one of those teams. But he was really good with the Dodgers. And, you know, he was one of my favorite pitchers at the time. And I said, when he's a free agent, I really want him. But unfortunately, the last two seasons, he hasn't been really good. Rick Porcello, he had a horrible season with the Mets um, about a year ago. I don't think they want to bring him back, and they didn't. So, you know, maybe they take a chance on him. It's not the best option, but again, these guys are in their 30s. It's not like NFL where they're like 25, 26 in free agency. No, these guys are in their 30s, and they're looking for teams, you know. Retirement age is probably earlier than years past, but that's not really my point right now. Jake Odorizzi is probably, in my opinion, the best option out of these alternates. Corey Kluber, maybe, but he could be, you know, asking for a little bit more money than other starting pitchers would. But that's, you know, something to see. And let me pull out something because I was actually going to, you know, see what the rotation looks like at the end. But I'm going to do it now. So let's take a look quickly here. And obviously, I'll pull out like the whole salary at the end to show you, you know, who has the highest, who's on like 1 million, and who's on like, you know, mid 10 million, 5 million, that stuff. So here's the potential, or you could say current starting rotation, you know, pitchers who could be in the starting rotation next year, spring training, whatever. Luis Severino. Now, keep in mind, he is coming back from Tommy John surgery, so you're not going to have him for the first couple of months next season. So you're going to have to get a number two starter if you don't bring back Tanaka, and that would be really painful. Now, you could put Chassin in there, but he hasn't had you know a couple of good years. Um, I think his last good year was like either two years ago or 
as I said, you know, him and with a class of free agents, not really good. And you could put Herman in there. I'll pull his stats up in a minute. But Garrett Cole, he's obviously your number one. No matter what, I mean, even if they signed, I don't know, let's say Corey Kluber, Cole is still your number one. He went 7-3 and three last year. Jordan Montgomery, I'm not really impressed with him as of last year. And I know he's coming off surgery um, from the year before, but just didn't really impress me last year. And the situation with the Yankees putting, you know, so much pressure on these guys to be middle relievers and coming to games with, you know, the bullpen gays and that stuff. It's just, you know, really annoying. And I think that's putting pressure on them. And, you know, I think that's moving them to a place where they're not really, where it's really foreign to them. So another guy is Davey Garcia. And I mentioned in the last episode where it's more like, you know, that one time where Doug Peterson benched Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfeld, where Aaron Boone took out Davey Garcia for Jay Happ, and, you know, what happened? We lost the game. Probably, you know, relating to that decision. A lot of people tried defending it that day. I don't know why. But he probably is in the circle for your rotation next year. Michael King, I see him, if he has any chance at all, you know, he's shown flashes. I don't really like the guy, but, you know, as a pitcher, but are you willing to give him another chance? Maybe, probably as a middle relief guy. Jonathan Weisiger, the same thing. You know, statistically, he did good last year. Michael King, as I mentioned already. Um, Clark Schmidt, he's not ready. He is not ready. And, you know, I think Garcia could probably do better than Clark Schmidt right now. And he had a couple of rough patches. And I think the Yankees really did wrong last season. They put him in like a third-string QB. Like it's, you know, in a football game, if you're losing by a whole lot, they'll put the third-string quarterback in just to say, you know, hey, uh, you guys won that stuff. They did that with Clark Schmidt a lot last year. And I didn't really like it. Yeah, get in your experience. But, you know, having pitched in meaningful games, I mean, they're – meaningful 60 games, but have him pitch in meaningful innings, you know, have him pitch, you know, when the game is still alive, when it's not like 12-7 or something like that. Because I remember I think he pitched or it was either him or Michael King that pitched in that, you know, big game in Buffalo where it was like 10 bullpen runs in one inning. Unbelievable. But um, here's my projected rotation for next year, pending, you know, Severino and everything else. Cole's probably going to be the number one starter. Um, that's obvious. Don't have to read his stats. Obviously, he was seven and three, two point eight four ERA. Domingo Herman, zero and one, and this is coming from the Dominican Winter League. I hope he comes back because you know he was a solid pitcher before whatever happened with the uh, domestic abuse thing. Zero one five starts, sixteen point one innings pitched, eighteen K, seventeen hits, thirteen earned runs, two homers. He really struggled. Seven point one four ERA, eleven percent walk rate, in analytic there, but. Uh, my point is, you know, he really struggled. First part of the first part of the Dominican Winter League, he really, you know, I would say, did really well, and then he struggled the last couple of games. Montgomery, I think he's going to be the number three guy. I don't think they're going to make him a middle reliever, especially with the depth they have right now. Um, even if they do or do not bring back Tanaka, I still see him as the number three. If they did sign somebody like a Kluber 
or a Chassin. I mean, Chassin will probably be number five. But if they did sign somebody like, you know, a Jake Odorizzi or a Corey Kluber, I think that they may actually go into the two to the three role, and that would push Domingo Herman down, knowing how much Herman has played in the last two years. But Montgomery, as I said, I wasn't impressed with the season last year. Ten starts, two and three, 5.11 ERA, 47 Ks, 44 innings pitched, nine walks at 25 earned runs. Um, Chassin, I don't really have any stats for him as of last year, and it also could be Garcia, but I don't think it would be Garcia unless he really impresses in spring training. I think Garcia would probably be a number five. And then Jonathan Loizaga would probably be that number five starter, 12 games, three starts, 3-0. and He was good out of the bullpen last year. Now, I'm not necessarily a whole fan of his. I'm not going to get on that bandwagon, but, you know, for last year, I think he did, you know, all right. I think he did all right. I think I actually have Chassin's stats right here. Pitch for the Rockies, pitch for the Cardinals, pitch for a couple different teams, and he's really struggled. He has, His last year that he was actually pretty good was 2018, 15-8, 3.5 ERA, and 35 starts. So that was his last good season. But then you had when Milwaukee had him um, – the following year, I mean, he was with Milwaukee in 2018, 2019, um, with Milwaukee 3 and 10. And then he went over to Boston 0 and 2. And then with Atlanta 1 and 0, but 7.20 ERA. Is that really something you want to look forward to? Yes, it's, you know, only, uh, what is it? He didn't even start. So could he be an option in the bullpen? I have no idea. But the final topic I'm probably going to bring up here is you have to make a decision on Gary Sanchez. If you're the Yankees, you have to make a decision on Gary Sanchez because there were rumors, oh, the Yankees are shopping Gary Sanchez. You know, Brian Cashman has doubts about Sanchez. You traded away goods to invest in more goods. You traded away Brian McCann in 2016 for two prospects to say Gary Sanchez is your future. That's ultimately what... The Kansas City Chiefs did with Alex Smith. Veteran quarterback for multiple years, drafted Patrick Mahomes in that 2018 offseason, 2019, um, actually 2018, my mistake, you know, they said, you know what, we're going to trade Alex Smith to the Washington football team, and we're going to get some picks back, but Patrick Mahomes is our starter day one, opening day, 2018. That's ultimately what they did, and that's ultimately what the Yankees did. Obviously, Romine was the backup for a couple of years, and you know he went to uh, Detroit, but he's a free agent now. And Kyle Higashoka did a nice job of backing up last year. I must say that. I think he actually went on the IL once or twice, but I think he did a nice job, and he deserves it because he's been in the minor leagues for the Yankees since 2008. And that was even before they got their last championship. So that tells you something. You know, hard-deserving chance. And I think Higashoka definitely earned it last year. But you have to make a decision. As I said, they bought the goods on Gary Sanchez. And, you know, Girardi was hard on him, which is highly anticipated. And if I ever interview, you know, somebody from the Yankees or whatever from that situation, I would say, look, would you rather have a coach that – is a player's coach or would you rather have a coach that's like Joe and pretty much is in there and will rip the players when needed. And I kind of like that aspect out of Joe because you can't let the clubhouse run you. You got to run the clubhouse. 
And essentially, you know, it's not a cancerous locker room like you would say in the NFL. But with Gary Sanchez, he doesn't run on the bases. Now, you could say, oh, he plays, you know, like Robinson Cano plays 162 games. That's more understandable for Cano. But Gary Sanchez, he gets injured. You know, whether it's a calf injury or it's this injury or it's that injury. He can't block well, and he doesn't run the bases. And you know what? People were talking about how many seasons ago oh, he had 38 homers. Yeah, what was his batting average? Everybody hates that stat all of a sudden. So don't try to sell me these goods when I'm clearly not going to buy them. Last year, let's take a look real quick at his batting average. I'm pretty sure it was like one something, if not even oh something. Let's check in his... Uh, his batting average for last year. Now, I know some of you will think, oh, you know, it's inaccurate. It's not inaccurate. 147 batting average last year. You really want that on your team. One of the worst defensive catchers in baseball. And if you're the Yankees, if you're Aaron Boone, you can't be inconsistent with dealing with Sanchez. You either let him run wild, let him not run the bases, you know, terrible defense, you have him keep doing that, or you say, hey, listen, if you want to be here, you're going to have to, you know, really get good at this stuff. You're going to really have to be there for us. You can't be, you know, missing blocks and you have to get balls in the dirt. You have to get wild pitches. You have to run the bases. You know, 2018 against the Rays. I mean, that was a horrible game. I started screaming when um, that was obviously the game where, what was it? One point away, one run away. I'm still in football, obviously. One run away, Hicks is a safe at second, but Sanchez is not running the bases, then starts running, and he's out at first. Like, And then he gets put on the IL. Oh, uh, you know, he got an injury. I thought they were faking it first because, like, you know, they're trying to cover for him. But Sanchez, he got benched, apparently, towards the end of last year. But then they didn't bench him against, like, the Blue Jays and the games coming up, you know, in the later down the stretch. So, you know... What made no sense to me is, okay, you're benching him, but you're not benching him. You have to be consistent with that stuff, or the player's not going to know what your attitude is towards him. And the only alternate option I would suggest, in my opinion, is Yadier Molina. He's 38 years old, and you know he still has some good hitting, and he still has an arm. You know, um, I think they have a catcher over in St. Louis now. I think it's like Carson Kelly, or maybe they made me a mix of players with the Diamondbacks. But um, they have their catcher in St. Louis now, probably moving on from him. But Molina, you know, he's a good spirit around the league. He's been in the league for how many seasons now? And he's the, you know, only guy that is probably the best alternate option when it comes to hitting, when it comes to defense. Unless you put him into backup Sanchez and you pretty much say, screw you to Kyle Higgishoke. I don't think they want to do that. And coming with that, if the Yankees and Brian Cashman and the Steinbrenner family really want to get rid of some salary, they might have to trade some people, some players. Now, here is the salary coming up for 2021. Garrett Cole, 36 mil. Uh, Stan, 29 mil. Obviously, he opted in, so he's going to be with us for the next couple of seasons. Rollis Chavin, 17 mil, 200, uh, excuse me, 17.2 mil. Zach Britton, 13 mil. Aaron Hicks, 10 mil. Remember that extension? Um, Luis Severino, that extension, 10.7 mil. Gets injured the next uh, season. Aaron Judge, 10 million. 
Adam Adovino, 9 million. Luke Voigt, 5 million. Sanchez, 5 million. Urshela, 4 million. Glaber Torres, 2 million. Frazier, 2 million. And Chad Green, 1 million. Obviously, it goes down. You guys can check this out on Spot Track if you like. Uh, that's where I got my numbers from. But the Yankees, realistically, are probably not getting rid of Cole, obviously. They're probably not getting rid of Stan. Because if they did that, you know, who's going to take on that contract? Nobody. He gets injured. Who's going to take on that? Nobody. Especially for that much money? It's like trading Jacoby Ellsbury. And it's starting to turn into that at that point. You know, it's kind of like an Evan Ingram thing, except it doesn't cost much money. Ingram's on a rookie contract. Meanwhile, Stan's on a max contract. You know, Ingram, how many years, you know, he is on IR and he's, you know, producing. But when he's on IR, he's not producing, obviously. Well, he comes into this season, plays what? All 16 games, I'm pretty sure, and he sucks. That's something you don't want to have. And I would really not appreciate that if that was the real situation that we had. But the realistic, you know, picture when you're talking about dumping salaries, especially in the MLB, if you're the Yankees, you probably want to get rid of the only person I could think of is, again, Sanchez, but again, who's going to take on a defensive player or non-defensive player that really, you know, is doesn't run the bases, uh, bad at defense and struggles on offense, only hits homers once in a while, or Luke Voigt. Uh, people were talking about, you know, Luke Voigt, oh, you know, um, trade him this offseason. To be honest with you, his salary doesn't carry a lot. I mean, it's only, what, $5 million. So I don't really see him getting traded. But unless you move Glaber to second, you move um, LeMahieu to first, if you sign him back or if you, you know, put Ford at first and you put your full faith in him and then sign somebody like DDH shortstop, that's the only way I would see it working. And otherwise, you know, I would still keep Luke Voigt. Adam Ottavino, it's a one-and-one. Had a good season in 2019, had a shit season in 2020, just like a lot of pitchers. But let's see, how much does he make? He makes about $9 million. And I know his dad, but that's a different story. But is that somebody you do want to trade? Do you want to get prospects out of it? Do you want to get maybe a player that a team is looking to get rid of? If you're willing in the Yankees, meaning – to get rid of some salary, you're probably going to have to trade one or two players this, you know, it's still the offseason, but we have one month till spring training, so they better get a move on. But what I'm saying is, you know, I don't really say, I don't really see them making, you know, these really, I would say, out there moves like a Lindor move. They lost a lot of money, but this is also typical Yankees fashion in the last couple of years, not making necessarily the biggest moves. Um, Miguel Landuhar and Tyler Wade. Let me get to that real quick before I end the uh, podcast. Uh, Gio Urshela, he's out for most of spring training now. Bone spur removal surgery. He's probably going to be rehabbing that. And I don't expect him, I guess, to be ready for opening day unless it's, you know, speedy. Season's supposed to start on time. But I don't really expect, you know, him to be on time. Um, we'll see what happens because obviously the vaccine's coming out and whether, you know, who and skipping the line and you know it's it's a whole debacle but related to Gio Urshela related to Gio Urshela hope he gets better but we're gonna see some time again for Tyler Wade and Andujar third base Andujar he's done really well in the um the Dominican League he actually hit a homer tonight 
But Tyler Wade, on the other hand, I have no faith in him. And I said this before, you know, he's not a good hitter. He flashes defensively. And people say, oh, he's got speed on the bases. Well, just because you have speed on the bases doesn't mean you have baseball IQ. Because one time I had a friend, um, we were in a junior varsity baseball game. And when it was two outs, he didn't run, but he's fast as hell. So it's like, okay, your speed's there, but your IQ's not there. You have to put those assets to work. I mean, you could be slow and have a great IQ when it comes to baseball. But when it comes to Tyler Wade, and especially that play against the Mets, I believe, you don't want to have that happen again. I'm, you know, how Aaron Boone did not yell at him for that when Girardi probably would have. And I know I'm using the old Girardi excuse, but you know what? That's there. Anyway, thank you guys for listening or watching this episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. Podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, all the platforms. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates. Thank you guys. Um, I know a lot of people didn't join this probably, but you know what? It's okay. 73 subscribers, 27 away from 100. Thank you guys, and we'll see you either on Sunday or either on Tuesday.